Welcome to MindLob, the hive mind antidote for conservative Christians that want to form their own conclusions. And now your host, Ken Carroll. In this episode of MindLob, we're going to ask the question, how can you have a day without the sun? And how can you have light on the earth without the sun? So picking up on Genesis uh, verse 3 in chapter 1, we're going to try to tackle some of the, uh, the hard questions. But before we do so, I do want to let you know that maybe in the next week or two, I'm going to take a break from Genesis and possibly talk a little bit about the election. Now, obviously, we are more polarized than ever as a nation, and there seems to be more questions than answers. And it's a tough time. It's just really tough. And uh, so, to be perfectly honest with you, I spent probably three or four hours uh, yesterday because I kind of wanted to tackle some of the hot button subjects. I ended up deleting it. Uh, I got down to about a three minute section. I paused. I went in and I talked to my wife a little bit and she gave me some really good advice. And so I kind of removed myself from uh, interjecting the Genesis study in order to uh, really contemplate it and think about it, kind of step away from it for a little bit, because I do think we're at a point within the American Republic where we're, we're hitting something monumental. For me personally, it didn't really hit home. It didn't hit home for me on January the 6th or the 5th or, you know, any time prior to. For me, what when I really started to see this was January the 7th. I was up early in the morning. I had a cup of coffee and I was going through the house and uh, I stuck my head in uh, one of my children's rooms to uh, tell them that I love them. And I was signaled into the room. I was asked to uh, listen in on a virtual classroom. And it was a world history lesson. And as I listened, uh, the high school teacher was really stating some questionable things regarding the 2020 election, the culmination of events, as absolute uh, truce. And it was disturbing to me, not because of the, the left-right paradigm, but because I'm really sending my kid to school for objective uh, learning. I would not want my child to be indoctrinated in one way or the other. I want my children to be able to think critically and be able to assess data independently. And uh, it was disturbing to see that this high school teacher is in charge of children and making proclamations and essentially indoctrinating children into his personal belief system politically. So I'm kind of pausing for, you know, a little bit on this and taking time to reflect. But I definitely want to come back and, and kind of talk about it a little bit and, and maybe put a spin on it and maybe something that's hopefully of substance in the coming weeks. But with that being said, what I really want to do is continue in Genesis. Now, what we're seeing here as we get into verse 3, we have God. Now, and it says, and God said. Now, in previous episodes, one distinction that I did not make 
is that the name of God through uh, chapter 1 of Genesis and the beginning of chapter 2 is Elohim. Now, according to the commentary that I've read on the name Elohim, it's the plural form of El. El is a, a time, a, uh, a historic term for God that's used in other religions. And Elohim is the plural version of that. So El is singular, Elohim is plural. So the question is, is uh, well, what, what does that mean? And so a lot of people will say, well, that's the Trinity. And there are some commentaries that suggest that's the case. Other commentaries would suggest that that's disingenuous because of the way that Elohim is used. It essentially, within context, looks like what it's trying to do is express the greatness of the biblical God versus other gods meaning that uh, using the plural form, Elohim, is like putting the emphasis on the supremacy of the God of Genesis. And so when you get to uh, chapter 2, what's kind of interesting about that is that the name of God, there's a different name of God that's used. And there's conjecture as to, well, why, why is there a change there? And we'll also see that there are some unique changes in other words, too. Like, for example, Adam. Adam, and uh, well, what exactly is that, that word, and, and what does it translate to? So, in verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So, seems pretty straightforward. But if we were to jump down to verse 14, what you're going to see is, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And then we continue with uh, the two great lights. You know, he made a great light for the day and a lesser light for night. And he made the stars also. So there's some interesting questions that kind of derive from this. And a lot of them have received, frankly, a lot of heat from critics. For one, well, how was earth lit up without a sun until uh, much later? We're at the fourth day, the fourth of these, these bookends. But if we read 14, it says, Let, you know, in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So, is this an illusion? Is this God telling us that the conception of a human day, which is slightly less than a 24-hour period, is that um, when those days, by that definition, begin? And if that's true, then when we have the evening and the morning, or the third day, the evening and the morning, or the second day, etc., etc., what, what are those days? Because those days 
appear to be foreign from the concept of day as we understand the word day. Now, when we're reading this, one thing we can conclude immediately is that the person who orchestrated Genesis, Moses, he knew that this, uh, the concept that the light made days and years, and, and he understood this concept. And so the, the narrative in verse 3 is not due to an ignorance of sun in the moon, apparently, because it's clearly stated just a few verses down. Now, we do know that between the bookends of 3 and where we pick up at 14, that there are things that look like they rely on things like photosynthesis, such as the grass and fruit trees and things of that nature. And so we have that between the bookend. And uh, so when you start to dig into this and you go, well, what is the source of the light in verse 3? If you were to take, for example, the Hugh Ross perspective, Hugh Ross, what he does is he says in the beginning, he starts at verse number 1, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And so what Hugh Ross would contend is that God... God's perspective is from earth because he move upon the face of the waters. And when he said, let there be light, then what he's doing at that point is creating um, an atmosphere that allows the light to shine through rather than being from the perspective of outer space. And so basically he's creating a water cycle. And so that that's kind of an interesting perspective. Outside of Hugh Ross, I've not really heard that, but it does appear that it would be a viable option to say that God was outside of uh, the earth, and then he then the perspective moves from the earth, and then moving to a uh, sky that allows light to go through, um, and then those kind of things. It, it there's some there's some pretty interesting concepts there. Then if you take uh, other perspectives, you will hear people break down the concept of light. Well, you don't need a sun for light. And they'll tell you about light being a wave and a particle and uh, what a photon is. And maybe it's not the sun. Maybe it's a light that's not organized in one place. And then they'll run you through the uh, church fathers and different perspectives. And then it even gets to where some would say that uh, divine beings provided the light for the, prior to the sun. And so you get to where some of the, the concepts in Genesis 3 would resonate more with the current interpretation of how we see the world and interpret the world and its surroundings. And then others take more of a more supernatural approach. But uh, when you dig into it, you're going to see that this has been a question that has been asked for some time. And uh, so I find it very interesting when you, when you start to look there that there's, there's tons of interpretations. Uh, but as far as there being something conclusive, there's really not a conclusive answer as to what that life source was prior to the sun being a sun and the moon in 14. 
Now, what I do find interesting about it is, again, the author does know the difference because they do say that they that the uh, the lights, the sun and the moon, are for seasons and for days and for years. And so we do know that a definition of day, and that definition, assuming that it's working the way that it works today, the way it works starting in 14, that that would also be the beginning of a day as we understand it, which would mean that there's, a, there's some wiggle room there on, well, what is a day? And then again, when you tie in in the evening and the morning or the first day, there is a, uh, a conjecture if you go look at uh, Chuck Missler. Uh, he passed away several years ago, but he had a, a ministry called, I think, Quaninoy House. And he has this whole breakdown of where he makes an argument that evening and morning is chaos toward organization. And uh, so, so as we're digging through this, we can kind of see that, you know, there, there's, some, there's some challenges here. Now, they're not insurmountable changes because at the end of the day, we are finite creations of a God. And, you know, if you get past the point of the biggest miracle in the book of, uh, in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth the heaven and the earth. And so it's not unreasonable to think that God is doing things and we don't know what those things are, but we want to be careful not to put too much conjecture into it or get too much on the defensive to where we feel like we have to give an answer where no answer is provided within the scriptures. And since no answers are provided within the scriptures, we want to be careful to draw our own conclusions or to make it palatable based upon either the traditions that we're trying to carry, maybe our, our loved ones or, or whatever have had a certain belief, or we're trying to create an answer in light of the way that uh, our modern science is interpreting data. And so we have those challenges from both perspectives. And of course, if there's anything that history teaches us is that man is on an ever-growing search for understanding and truth. And then if we go back to uh, the previous podcast, uh, not the last one, I think, but the one prior to, where we even talk about ideas like the simulation hypothesis, then we, we kind of see, you know, that there's a lot of room. And so we want to be careful not to, uh, we want to be careful not to try to champion our personal version of Genesis and add more to what's there. And uh, unfortunately, when we see different ministries that are built around apologetics and trying to defend Genesis, what we see is that they tend to want uh, to force their view in there. And, you know, then it gets kind of ugly from there because they'll say, well, if you you know, you compromise a, a this version of a day or you compromise this version of light, then you're compromising the scriptures. And that's not at all true. There's great scholars that, that believe different versions. And church fathers have had different interpretations of what the light was and what the days are. And, you know, a lot of this is not concrete. 
Now, there are some interesting aspects to the concept of light. Um, for example, if you go look at uh, an experiment that was conducted, it's called the double slit experiment. And I'm going to read you a little bit of information from discovery.com. The title of the article is The Double Slit Experiment Cracked Reality Wide Open. And so here's what it says. The double slit experiment seems simple enough. Cut two slits in a sheet of metal and send light through them. First as a constant wave, then in individual particles. What happened, though, is anything but simple. In fact, it's what started science down the bizarre road of quantum mechanics. You've got particles in my waves. In the early 1800s, the majority of scientists believed that light was made up of particles, not waves. English scientist Thomas Young had a hunch that the particles theory wasn't the end of the story and set out to prove that light was a wave. He knew that waves interacted in predictable ways and if he could demonstrate those interactions with light he could prove that light was indeed a wave. So he set up an experiment. He cut two slits in a sheet of metal and shone light through them onto a screen. If the light were indeed made of particles, the particles that hit the sheet would balance off those that passed through the slits would create the image of the two slits on the screen, sort of like spraying paint on a stencil. But if light were a wave, it would do something very different. Once they passed through the slits, the light waves would spread out and interact with one another. Where the waves met crest to crest, they'd strengthen each other and leave a brighter spot on the screen. Where they met crest to trough, they would cancel each other out, leaving a dark spot on the screen. That would produce what's called an interference pattern of one very bright slit shape surrounded by echoes of gradually darker slit shapes on either side. Sure enough, that's what happened. Light traveled in waves. All's well that ends up well, right? Well, here the article continues. Around the 20th century, a few scientists began to refine the idea. Max Planck suggested that light and other types of radiation come in discrete amounts. It's quantized. And Albert Einstein proposed the idea of the photon, a quantum of light that behaves like a particle. As a result, he said that light was both a particle and a wave. So back to the double slit experiment. Remember when we said if light were a particle, it would create sort of like a spray paint stencil pattern instead of an interference pattern. By using a special tool, you can actually send light particles through the slits one by one. But when scientists did this, something strange happened. The interference pattern still showed up. This suggests something very weird, according to their words, is going on. The photons seem to know where they would go if they were in a wave. It's as if a theater audience showed up without seat assignments, but each person still knew the exact seat to choose in order to feel the theater correctly. As Popular Mechanics puts it, 
This means that all the possible paths of these particles can interfere with each other, even though only one of the possible paths actually happen. All realities exist at once, a concept known as superposition, until the final result occurs. Weirder still, when scientists place the detectors at each slit to determine which slit each photon was passing through, the interference pattern disappeared. That suggests that the very act of observing the photons collapses those many realities into one. Now, now get that. The, that suggests the very act of observing the photon collapses those many realities into one. That's mind-blowing, according to the article. It is for scientists, too, which is why quantum mechanics is one of the most hotly debated areas in modern science. So what we're seeing is if you, if you can go to, you know, wherever you want to watch videos, and you can pull up the double slit experiment, and what you're going to see is that we, we don't get this. I mean, we can kind of explain it and we make predictions off of it and things of that nature, but to completely understand it is, um, is very interesting. And this, this is one of the, the, the aspects of light in which we're just kind of coming to terms with. So you see, if we were to make a conjecture, say back in uh, early 1900s, we have one concept of light. And we would think that by the, the, one of the observations today is by observing it, that it seems to change. Well, that would be something that a certain group would not believe at a certain point. And it's still debated today, according to the article. And so, as we learn more about light and the properties of light, answers may become more apparent to us through time. Maybe we'll become more ignorant. Maybe we'll become more intelligent. But the idea is that we need to be open to the idea that Scripture is ahead of us. And it'll always be ahead of us. And we can look at it in light of current uh, phenomena and understanding. But we should never match the two up. Or try to say, because this is the way we understand it scientifically, then we have to squeeze the scriptures into it. And, uh, you know, you have to resist. You've got to resist this idea of defending the scriptures in light of materialism. And, uh, you know, atheism, they, you know, they, they're really quick to kind of want to uh, point out these mistakes. But then, in actuality man's limited finite position in time and space is always going to be playing this, especially knowing that God created um, the book of Genesis and gave it to us on a quest, a relational quest, to understand him more as we live our lives. And so... Um, I find that very interesting. I know the double slit experiment got a little complicated the way I read it. Uh, I'll try to leave a link uh, in the members area of MindLob, and I'll also drop it in on the Facebook page too so you can see it. But if you just go, you can find a video, and then you can kind of hear someone explain it, and they'll give you visuals associated with it. But just know that the way that light works is uh, it's very interesting. And... Um, and so uh, I think I'm going to leave that there for today. Again, I am planning on touching base on uh, the election should uh, God lead me in that direction. 
You know, um, we are, as Christians, we are of the kingdom first. You know, we have a dual citizenship. And, you know, at certain points, God historically has shown a judgment. And, you know, he shows great mercy, but he also shows judgment. And there are signs of when God's judgment does fall on a nation. And uh, if you go look at uh, Jonathan Kahn's writings, he has some very interesting uh, insight into that. Now, certainly, I'm not in a position to want to dive deeper into that right now in terms of what's going on in America and, you know, dive into all the nuances because it's, it's just so complicated and there's so much emotion and uh, so much involved that uh, I just don't feel that it's, you know, it's, it's definitely something I don't feel God's cleared me to, to want to talk about at this point. But if you go to mindlob.com, uh, make sure to subscribe um, because, you know, some of the stuff that we're talking about, you know, there, there is some censorship going on in uh, the world of uh, big tech. And there's no doubt about that. And uh, so certain types of content, is they just don't like. Now, I don't think we're dancing any lines, but uh, I do know that when you get into using uh, words like uh, election and fraudulent, that uh, those kind of videos are being taken down, you know, pretty, pretty strongly. And then we see some other issues, too. And uh, I want to be able to talk freely with you, mainly because it's for educational and critical thinking and just sharing thoughts. I'm not really looking to try to convince you, but more or less just kind of putting us through some thought processes and, and thought experiments in order to um, just share so with that being said, I really do appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for subscribing. I would appreciate it if you shared Mind Lob with your friends. I would like to uh, reach as many as I can with what we're doing. I do feel that this is where God wants me. I don't plan on selling anything or, uh, you know, no subscriptions. Everything's going to be free for as long as I can do it. Uh, and I want to share it with uh, whoever is interested. So thank you so much. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast or visit mindlob.com to learn more.